So Rikai has a story to share with the class that surprised me, that uh, it impacted the release of user error, yep. and it's a, it's a significant trying times we live in, Wes, when a problem like this exists and no one steps up to solve it. One man must come to the people, must, must inform the people of the duty we must all take, the R-syncs that we must all pick up, and the scripts that must be written. What happened, Beard? I want to know you said duty. why Ubuntu still sucks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> darn. Oh, so, so, damn. Well, to be fair, to be fair, Debian too. <laughs> uh, I, I want to know why in 2017 we do not have the ability to automatically check and see if our mirrors are up to date. Because um, I had to... I, I figured out this problem later. I had to install TeamViewer, and TeamViewer would not install because it was missing packages. There's your first mistake. That's Team your Viewer. first problem. Oh, I, yeah, had, to yeah, be, yeah. I ah. had to be that guy. We all had to be that guy. <laughs> well, you know, give me another easy remote desktop solution that doesn't require forwarding ports. I will today. Oh. <laughs> well, that is what I will give you today, but except for that last part, you will have to forward port 22. But, so... I couldn't install TeamViewer. It was telling me that packages were missing. I assumed it was just because packages had changed in 17.10. But no, it turns out, I found out completely unrelatedly later, that the mirror that had been chosen for um, my Ubuntu install... It, so the, like when I installed... Because that's the install I set up. Yeah. I didn't change the mirrors. I didn't change any of that well, stuff. Whatever it defaulted to had out-of-date packages because later I switched to a different mirror for an unrelated reason and resolved everything, everything was fine again. Now, do you think this is just... Um, is this, do you need graphical access to the machine or are you remotely controlling a Windows machine or is this can, is SSH enough without port forwarding? No, it does. I need graphical access. Do you need the desktop? Which I have a solution for in today's show, but except for his specific scenario, he needed the logged-in sessions desktop. Yep. Right. Which is definitely a little trickier. Mm-hmm. TeamViewer is not bad. We've talked about Splashtop before. If you so today, what we're going to talk about is if you just want a remote desktop session that you can connect to and disconnect from, and that session remains like running on the computer. Yeah. See, the the, the thing about TeamViewer is, I installed TeamViewer. I logged into my account. I clicked three boxes for unattended remote access, and then I left. And I was able to connect on the other end. So how, wait, so I, I got to go back. How did you discover that it was out of date packages? Like I'm not clear on that. So so you came to the conclusion that the repo hadn't like synced after 17.10 or something. Like they just didn't have the right version that supported Ubuntu 17.10. No, it, you, it was 17.10 packages because clearly it was getting packages from somewhere. But yeah, that's true. Some of the packages it was saying uh, are referenced but don't exist on this mirror or whatever. And other, oh really? Yeah, others. And, and when I did uh, app get upgrade, it, it updated a couple packages, but not as many as you would expect after a release. Uh huh. And then later, I switched to a different mirror, and I had a whole lot more updates. <laughs> and I had a uh, it, it solved the the missing packages for TeamViewer because TeamViewer was like half installed. Hmm. Because it was like you know it's installed, but we're missing dependencies. See, this is we have to rally the people because there's only one thing that can be done. So I'm just wondering why, like, in the process of you know, checking for new yeah. packages. Why aren't they checking the freshness right. of a mirror? This is your cause now. Mirror freshness is like your mission in life to make sure just snap it stays it. fresh. I guess <laughs> maybe it's just easier to blame Pope. So I've just yeah, sure. And I've just posted a link that tells you how up to date each of the mirrors are. 
Yeah, but, so but what I'm asking if that was the issue. What I'm asking oh. is why is this not part of the the automatic process? I didn't realize this could be a thing. Actually, to be honest with you, I didn't. I didn't. It usually isn't. It, it, it typically isn't because there isn't a gigantic churn like there is at release time when hundreds of machines around the world are all hitting the same machine, wow. trying to update at the same time. Okay, yes, yeah, I, so I see here. You probably happened to hit the wrong time of the year for it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like uh, there's one one mirror that's a week behind, one that's two days behind. Most are all up to date, but yeah, this does. This is actually a pretty good thing to know. So that is launchpad.net slash Ubuntu slash plus archive mirrors, plus symbol archive mirrors. Cool. Thanks, Poby. <clears throat> I'll toss a link to that in the show notes. Sweet. I had I literally had no idea that was an issue because I just assumed these things slowly arsing to the background. But, of course, that's me being naive about the size of the data that they're moving around. They actually usually really quickly are sync in the background because <laughs> they've all got like stupidly fat connections to the internet. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I ran into that the other the other week as well. And then later it's like, oh yeah, everything's there now. All right, that's fine. You see, this is why I prefer um, um, boutique distributions because their small user base means that they can just download everything off a single mirror. And uh, uh, I don't actually have anything. I'm, I'm just making that up. Actually, there's something to be said for simplicity because mm-hmm. when you've got like a giant complex arrangement of mm-hmm. moving parts, yeah. things can go wrong. Well, that's I why mean, when no one uses your software, it's really easy <laughs> to maintain. Or the or you take the Linux Mint approach and you just outsource that extremely complicated, massively expensive part of your infrastructure to somebody else. You know, that's yeah, that. but even look at uh, like what Ike just went through with his upsizing. You know, he pretty much got banged offline with his OVH server, and then he had to go hunting for a CDN like as quick as he could. Mm-hmm. See, I guess. What I'm asking is why, like, why don't they have like when you do an app get update, it checks something like a mirror freshness list, right? And says, "Hey, your mirror may be out out of date. Would you like to try another mirror?" Yeah, like like some sort because of like up- one, because vast majority of the time it's never a problem, and the mirrors are up to date, and it's not. An yeah, issue. but when it you is a problem, it's a huge problem. <laughs> like some sort of like apt apt update mirror or something that would also ping mirrors well, and there stuff is. like oh, there's there is? a software sources thing on mm. the Ubuntu desktop where you press a button right, yeah. yep. and it will choose the fastest best mirror nearest yeah. to you and all that kind of stuff it's very fancy. I just mean like sort of just sort of like or um, you could just choose the central mirror and not not use one local to you and choose the central one which is always up to date you could do that yeah. but yeah it's one, it's one of the problems of having stuff distributed all over the place this is Linux Unplugged, episode 220 for October 24th, 2017. Oh, welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's Linux boxes being held together with bubblegum, a little bit of duct tape, and some hope. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And Beard's here. Hello, Beard. Hey, I'm just over here uh, taking out your sound server with SystemD. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> got to preach you all the gum. That's helpful, too. <laughs> that is very helpful. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like scraping a system together as we do this show. Took us about 20 minutes to get the soundboard working, but we've got that. So what else do we need other than a great lineup, which we have today? We have some news we'll get into, some community stuff, a couple of follow-up stories, the Fedora Project has a post that they'd really like you to read, and we'll give you some highlights from that. And then I've gone and created myself not one, but two remote desktop solutions. 
I wanted to create myself a workstation in the cloud, completely independent and isolated from anything else that I could get access to anywhere in the world. And then I wanted to create a separate remote desktop system that was on the LAN of the studio that could get access to our huge recording files that has a big fat GPU and a monster 6-core i7 CPU, lots of local storage. So one system up in the cloud with incredible bandwidth, unlimited storage that I could pay for if I want to attach, and one system local with lots of GPU compute power, both of them running Linux using X2Go. And we've covered X2Go before on the network. Uh, Noah did a great how-to on it ages ago in Linux Action Show episode 374. Um, and this is my take on it. I'm going to do a little. I'm going to talk about it a little bit differently. We're going to. I'm using Ubuntu 17.10, so we'll talk about using modern Linux distributions to do this. How I'm doing it, what I'm using it for, what some of the downsides are, and how unbelievably easy it is to get set up, and how it can just really change the game. And I'm using it even when I'm here on my LAN, and I'm connecting to systems over the LAN using this. It's it's so so great. So I'll share my uh, my project with you and give you a little demo of the entire thing too later on in the show so stay tuned for all of that stuff but before we go any further we're going to bring in our virtual lug time appropriate greetings discord channel hey, hey, hey. Hello. hello guys yeah so episode 220 we're trying out discord for this week's episode and uh, it's bumpy so far you know we're just we're giving it a go though we're giving it a go and uh, we got a good amount of people showing up so thank you everybody thank for yes. helping us do that Helps uh, really actually put it through its paces. So let's start with some community news, Wes. What do you say, sir? What do you say? Please. I noticed, uh, by the way, before we go any further, you're still running 1710 on that monster. I sure am. So you stuck with it for the week, huh? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And Beard, your your rig over there, still running 1710. So all three of us have stuck with it for the week. How unusual. Mm. Against my better judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So let's talk about the Librem 5, which uh, has been an ongoing story, spiked almost every single week by some new development. And it has come to a conclusion. The fundraiser is over with a 142% funds raised. They raised $2.1 million. But they're doing something interesting, too. They're leaving the pre-orders open. So if you still want a Librem 5, you can pre-order one right now and still get it. So while the fundraiser is over, they'll still take orders for it. Um, Librem 5, it's, um, it's funded. Now, now, as we've said before, the, the hard work begins, but they've they've just recently announced a deal with, or I guess a partnership with Nextcloud. So they're going to ship Nextcloud's apps by default on the PureOS yeah. devices and on the Librem. They've obviously they've talked with the Plasma mobile folks, the GNOME desktop people, the Matrix. They've been creating this 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 network of partnerships. With um, the big names in open source right now, a lot not the only, but big names in open source right now. Nextcloud is a bit of an open source celebrity project. Matrix, again, a bit of an open source celebrity project. Gnome and Plasma, obviously huge heavyweights with large fan bases. And uh, they're all kind of coming together on this Librem 5 thing. Why is this the first time we're seeing this? Why didn't we see this earlier? I guess the time's just kind of kind of right. Yeah, all the, all the projects are in the right position. Yeah. In good enough places have had enough polished, let's say, releases where they feel like these kinds of things are things they can, you know, dedicate energy to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised, to be honest with you, that they made it this far. 
Uh, I thought the goal of 1.5 million was achievable, but a long shot, and they surpassed it. And uh, how, however, uh, however the however this this fundraiser went, now we actually see what the, what the result's going to be yes, when they ship. This the will hardware. be the really interesting part. Okay, well, wow! Congratulations to them. I'm really, I'm really surprised. I've also seen rumors coming out of them that they're going to be shipping tablets. They want to work on uh, a NAS, <laughs> and um, of course, they've also recently announced that they've disabled the Intel management engine stuff, which we talked about on Linux Action News. If you'd like to check that out, yeah. Anybody in the uh, Discord room? Oh, that's weird. Anybody, that's in the, weird. anybody there in the uh, Mumble Discord thing <laughs> have, have a take on the Librem Five funding, or maybe a hope, or a dream, or a wish? Wish Upon a Star for a Librem 5. Oh, go ahead, JJ. I saw you light up. I don't hear you, though. It's all right. JJ, you're excused. It's I don't right. know that I'm ready to buy one, but I would like to have friends and acquaintances who have them, and you get to see them in real life. That would be exciting for me. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, they're starting to tempt me, but I think I'm not particularly motivated to be an early adopter on my phone anymore. Maybe if I didn't own a business and have kids... Or if like carrying two phones was a thing I don't someone do that could anymore. do realistically. No. Yeah, I'm not. But I would be willing to do it if I started to see this thing ship and it looked like it was a viable, if even in an early stage, but a viable product. Yeah, I'd be willing to. I'd be willing to carry two phones for a while as I as I you know sort of tried this thing out and then eventually switch over. Or something I'd be, I'd be, I could do that. So I could be willing to get in that position eventually. The competition is tough these days, though. I wonder if there's any angle to, you know, like their their focus on freedom and security, if there's any angle towards, you know, journalists or other people who are really conscious and really need to know what's going on with their phone. If there's no, you know, maybe you don't use it when you're at home in the States, but you're traveling to Russia to do a story and you want something that you have more control over. And it really gives people in the open source community who have held really, really steady to this principle of I'm not going to use a mobile phone because it 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 violates Either uh, my privacy or my freedoms or my personal views of, of, you know, technology. You know, there's a lot of reasons why people have just chosen I'm not going to get a smartphone. Right. And uh, maybe this would be a phone that might appeal to some of them. It's not a huge market. It's not going to make a company millions of dollars. But there may be a loyal customer base there if you can make a product that actually serves them. Yeah. We'll wait and see. It's still a lot of the stuff up in the air. Um, but it, it, I, I could see it. I could see it. I could see it. And now that they made their funding, I'm hoping they'll be able to ship a few. Let's talk a little bit about Fedora, because we've been talking a lot about Ubuntu, and we still are going to talk about Ubuntu a bit more today. We have some news, too. Um, but I, I thought, well, then we should take a moment to talk about Fedora, just to make sure uh, we talk about um, some hard work that's happening over there. They felt that way, too. Uh, they uh, they took to uh, their blog over there. This was this is Christian, who he blogs quite a bit about uh, the development of GNOME. And he took to his blog uh, right around the release of Ubuntu, uh, 1710, and said, uh, well, let's take a look at where Fedora's coming from and where it's going. And so he says, while we're putting the touches on, the final finishing touches on Fedora 27, I'll try to look back at everything we've achieved since Fedora Workstation was launched with Fedora 21. So we're going back to about Fedora 21. This blog is about taking stock and taking some pride in what we've achieved so far and major hurdles that we've passed along our way to improve the Linux desktop experience. First one on his list, Wayland. It's been the, we've been the biggest contributor since we joined the effort, he says. But libinput is another area we think we've made a big yeah. difference. Uh, GLVND, which deals with multiple OpenGL devices, porting Firefox to GTK3, Google Drive integration. Flatpak gets a mention. Um, could come back to that in a minute. The Linux firmware service, GNOME software, MP3 and AC3 support, and AAC support landing in Fedora. 
and a few other things like working with uh, uh, some improved touch support, Nautilus improvements, the nightlight, the nightlight mode in GNOME that uh, makes it a little easier on the eyes after the sun sets, and some other GNOME shell improvements. And of course, one of my favorites, GNOME Builder and Pipewire have been projects they've worked on, including other ones that are important to, to uh, specifically to Fedora, like Fleet Commander and um, a few other a few other things. So it's actually a pretty impressive list. I have the entire thing linked in the show notes. And um, I thought, you know what? It is fair. It is fair to take a moment and say Ubuntu 17.10 was a really great release, and it's because they're able to stand on the shoulders of what the GNOME 3 community has been building now for years and years and years. If 17.10 had launched when GNOME 3 was new and they were shipping GNOME 3 years and years ago, it would have been a train wreck of a release. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, I I thought, okay, fair enough. At first, I was giving them a hard time for, like, kind of doing a a Me Too post right around Ubuntu 17.10's release. I was like, oh, come on, Fedora. It's okay. We haven't forgotten about you guys. But then I I read that list, and I'm like, damn, that is a list. That That is a really great list. Like, the Linux vendor firmware project. Yeah. You know that's a personal favorite of mine. LibInput has made a huge improvement for using trackpads under GNU slash Linux. And, of course, it's really important for going to Wayland. Yeah, the list really cements the feeling I have. Like, well, I may not use Fedora desktop on a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, workstations I actually have. Uh, they just do a lot of really important mm-hmm. back-end work that you don't necessarily appreciate. Circling back to Flatpak. I've been trying to take stock. You know, Flatpak's had a couple of delays in Fedora for where they wanted to be at right now. So I'm like, where, where's the adoption? Because we've had a lot of conversations about Snap. A lot of people talking about Snaps. So what, what metric do you, do you measure success, right? Well, I, I have a metric that perhaps we could use. The piracy metric. Porn and piracy. What are they using? Which universal Linux packaging format are the pirates using? And it appears to be, so far, Flatpak. Hey, yeah, yeah. You pirates are now packaging Windows games with Flatpak because they can they can bundle like a little Wine or DOSBox runtime in there. Like they've got like this whole way to distribute wow. Windows games on Linux now using Flatpaks. So here's your <laughs> open source for the win. <laughs> and on the uh, on the uh, Juarez site, because you know back you know on these platforms where all your all your stuff is commercial and you got to pay for everything. They they uh, this is like a like a this is like like something that's like a huge market, like stealing software. Like in the open source community, we don't even have to worry about this. It's just in our repos. But here, you know, they have to describe what you're getting. So they say Flatpak is a new package management system built for simple, universal single-click installations. Games that just work neatly stuffed in a locked sandbox. <laughs> it's perfect for them. So there you go. Flatpak, the choice of Windows software pirates for games on Linux. <laughs> around the world if that's not a niche market i don't know what is. year of the pirate linux desktop i'm not sure yeah i mean if you think about it though you know you download a flat pack and you just have a full wine setup all done for you right i know it could be the choice for linux pirates it's kind of like what uh <laughs> it's kind of like a shades of what uh, ike's working on with the uh, linux steam integration project uh but for just one specific game so so when are actual game developers going to start releasing games in flat packs right right or or, you know, it seems like app images would make a lot of sense for game developers. And I could see snaps, too, especially if you want to make it easy on people. Um, but what about the maintainers? What about the what about the distro maintainers? Let's talk about maintainers for a moment. Wes found this this really interesting piece over on Snoyman.com, Manipulating Maintainers. And uh, he says the alternative title really could be how to get members of any open source community to be interested in helping you. Uh, but manipulating main- maintainers is a is a catchier title. It sure is. And he makes a core point right here at the beginning of the piece that uh, 
really smacked me in the face. And it's, God, is this not true? It's so true in Linux podcasting, quote-unquote Linux media space, too. He says, there's an old ha-ha, only but serious joke. If you go to a Linux forum and you ask for help fixing your Wi-Fi driver, everyone will ignore you. If you instead say, Linux sucks, you can't even get Wi-Fi to work, then thousands of people will try to solve the problem for you. So if you just say Linux sucks, it can't get Wi-Fi, all of a sudden everybody wants to help. But if you say, I, I need help with Wi-Fi, nobody helps. This story is a great example of manipulating people, but it's obviously a negative take on it. I'd like to share some thoughts on this from a much more positive standpoint, which will help you get people to pay more attention, be more helpful, and perhaps most importantly, create a healthier open source community overall. And he touches on core points to getting involved with open source communities, like don't waste people's time, demonstrate that you've actually tried to solve your problem. That's a huge one, yeah. Help other people, don't be rude. And he gives examples of what might come across rude and what you could maybe say instead. And I know some of this sounds like basic stuff, but it's a good read. It's insightful. Uh, Say thank you, admit if you're new, offer to help, and maybe consider giving money. It's not a universal, and to be clear, don't necessarily think they're asking for it, but, uh, you know... Sometimes people just need a little cash to help uh, make something a priority. I think that example at the top really just, you know, shows that here we're talking about, like, motivations. I know for me, like, all right, so you respond in anger. Someone's dissing your favorite OS, and you're like, well, I'm going to show them, yeah, it's super easy. Like, you're not, you're just re- responding, right? And it's not the interaction any of us want, and it's not really the solution here. But but you're not thinking about, like, I know I've certainly seen requests for help. And when they're vague, you're like, well, I just don't. You imagine all the work you're going to be in here trying to understand this person's problem and identifying, and then you're once you've started helping, you feel this obligation to to continue helping. That's not really so when you're just responding like, yeah, of course Wi-Fi works. Try this, right? And so all of these tips help show and make it more reasonable. So if someone has a very specific problem, you're like, oh, okay, I want to figure out what's going on too. I don't have to wade through the 10 steps of you know, introductory debugging that this person may or may not have done. So if you can get any of those barriers lower, you have a much better time. Yeah, I think it's a it's a lot about um, how you approach it too. If you come into it with a with a sort of a more of a uh, not a humble because that makes it sound like you have to you have to like tiptoe around. But if you come at it with um, maybe I don't have the full context when you ask your question, and uh, and then and then realize that sometimes those strong reactions too are because you're not asking the right question, and and so people respond negatively. And so sometimes you have to come in with the understanding of maybe I'm getting this response because I've asked something in outside the context of where I'm supposed to ask it or something. Um, what about you, Beard? You are involved in God knows how many IRC communities, Discord chat rooms. You must see people stumble into the rooms and, and communities you hang out in all the time and just blow it from time to time. Yeah, I mean, basically just be nice and don't act like you know everything. And you'll pretty much get all the help you need. Yeah, yeah, that's even that's even true when you you, you know you think you're an expert on something. I, I had a moment one time where I was troubleshooting a network problem, mm-hmm. and uh, this table I, unplugged. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was close. <laughs> it was really close. <clears throat> it was uh, it was a it was like a loop because I had a hub. I had like a hub loop, or I had like some sort of network loop. Oh yeah. But I thought it was, I thought it was an ISP problem. And so I'm talking to the tech, and I'm like 45 minutes into it, and I'm generally I'm generally a very nice person on the phone, maybe too nice, but gotta show I gotta do. 45 minutes into it, I start going, "Look, man, all right, I've done the router reboot thing. I've done all the little troubleshooting things you want. Here's what it, I can ping this. I can trace route this. I'm getting. I'm like just giving them all this information. Like I've done this. I've fixed networks for a living. Can we just skip all this stupid bullshit and just work on getting a trouble ticket established for a connection issue? 
And the guy's like, well, could you just do me one more favor? Could you go down and just check to see if you have like any hubs plugged into each other or anything weird that could be causing some sort of network loop? Fine, I think to myself. <laughs> I'm like, and I and I go down and I check the I check the switch. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm like, idiot, this guy's such an idiot. And I, I'm I'm huffing and puffing my way back up to the stairs where I left the phone, and it crosses my mind. Hey, du- hey, dumbass. Um, you have you have a little hub out where your NAS and your Wi-Fi access point is in the garage. That could be where your problem's at, smart guy. And I go, oh crap. And I walk back down the stairs out into the garage, and sure enough, I had a network loop. And I had to get. I had to go pick up the phone and be like, "Okay, I'm sorry. Yep, that did that did resolve the problem. Uh, Thank you for your time. Just stuff this so, whole crow right down my mm-hmm. right down my gullet. That's mm-hmm. why I heard that. goddammit, it, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, actually, that did happen, didn't it? That was a whole. That was actually a separate time. That that from that lesson I learned. Uh, that's usually just Noah's fault. Is actually what I learned from that. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that was good. If anybody in the oh, I see uh, Bashful, you had something you wanted to uh, jump in with. I'd love to hear. It. Go ahead. That was more so earlier when you were talking about the um, communities and stuff. Mm -hmm. For example, Rika, I was saying, you know, just ask, be nice, all that kind of stuff. But it's also the sense of entitlement that you have to, you know, things like have an answer immediately or that people are going to be online 24 by 7 or, you know, so on and so forth. They just expect you to be there nonstop. Right. Yeah. So that's the hard thing. So the entitlement thing is hard because nobody wants to be told that they have a sense of entitlement. Nobody wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. So, so that's like a real off-putting thing. And then the second second problem is, is nobody realizes they have a self-entitlement problem because they just are coming in like their time of day. So they're up and I, you sometimes don't stop and go, well, these people might be on the other end of the world. They might be asleep right now. Yeah, that's actually one of the things you see the most often in support channels is you see somebody come in ask a question and leave yeah. or come in, ask a question, complain that nobody's talking and leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they would just, and it's idle all for within a bit. like two minutes. Yeah. Idle for a day. Yeah. It's just more of a perception thing on both sides of the fence. Like I'm not, I don't mean it in uh, sort of the point of view that people can't expect an answer or should or shouldn't. It's just more so both sides of the fence need to be, you know, conscious of the fact that there are things like time zones, availability, families, all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. Good points. Okay. So um, I would say we could make a little room in next week's episode if anybody in the audience has a couple that they feel like we've left out, especially anybody involved in some open source communities where there's something that's specifically on your your list that people yeah, do. definitely. You know, your shit list. Uh, let us know. Leave a comment or go to the subreddit, linuxunplugged.reddit.com, and leave it on this week's episode. And if we get a couple of good ones, I'll carve out some time in next week's episode to try to include those because I think it's kind of particularly important for an open source community when, you know, a lot of people are constantly coming in that have never interacted with different communities and it's different cultures and different people use different uh, online platforms differently. And have like people email people email me all the time thinking I'm going to respond maybe that day or maybe within a few days. And sometimes it's like four month, four or five months before you get a response from me. And I, I, it's just I don't mean for it to be like that, but that's just what happens sometimes. And it's it's a stressful thing for me to go in my inbox because I know I have a bunch of old emails where people expected me to respond faster because that's how they do email. Um, and that's that's the same thing. You just have to you know you just have to understand that people have different expectations for these systems, especially in the open source world. All right. Well, before we move on, let's mention Ting for just a moment. My mobile service provider. Oh, it's Ting. You go over to linux.ting.com. That'll give you twenty five dollars off a Ting device, or maybe even better because 
If you can bring a Ting device, they'll give you $25 in credit, which will probably pay for more than your first month. It's pay for what you use wireless. It's really, it's really, it's really great because uh, take Beardsley here. <clears throat> I can have him. He's mine? <laughs> hey, you know, Chris, I, I actually have a new Ting Sim. Ting sponsored TwitchCon. Oh really? Yeah. You, so you got a, so you just got like an extra ready to go sim, yep. like a standby sim, just sitting yeah. in my room. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, but you know, for like for beard, it's a great example. So JB uh, uh, has uh, has a Ting account with uh, like three lines on there. I think maybe even four lines. And one of the lines we give to Beard, so that way he has uh, he has a phone where we can get a hold of him, and he has a little device that he can use to you know take over the world. And most of the time, Beard's somewhere that has Wi Fi, almost all the time. But uh, he traveled to TwitchCon. And uh, during that time, it'll be like a little more for service. But if you if you take the fact that maybe so maybe this month we're going to pay fifteen dollars more, maybe at most for his usage. Uh, <laughs> but you average that out over the fact that we almost pay for nothing most of the time when he's on Wi-Fi. There, there it's is, a great deal. There is definitely a data spike. This, yeah. This month. <laughs> and, yeah. And I know of at least one phone call because I got one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's perfect for that kind of setup. It's great for me, too, because uh, we, just a, hi there, with a little bit of planning, uh, I can preload my podcast for the day. I can. I can pin the music to my device. And I, when I'm driving, I can I can, you know, basically use no data. And then when I get to work, I can use Wi-Fi. It's, man, it's so great because it's nationwide. When I travel, I use it the entire time. They have CDMA and GSM. There's no contracts. There's no other termination fees. So if Beard wants to throw that SIM card in like a tablet for, you know, a couple of months and then decides I'm not really ever using it, there's no penalty to just turn it off. You go into their dashboard. It's simple. And you can control it there. You can also monitor all your usage. They have so many different devices you can pick from or bring your own. Like I mentioned, they have a CDMA and a GSM network. So there's tons of options there. Check out their blog, too. They have a blog right now about earning some uh, side cash. It's a little little bit of extra money. Whoa. (laughs) Off of Google Opinion Rewards. So check that out, too, on the Ting blog. Start by going to linux.ting.com, support the show, and sign up over at linux.ting.com. Let's get into the Ubuntu corner. So we have some Ubuntu news to get to, as you would expect after a big major release. And um, ever since the announcement that they would be switching to the GNOME desktop, discontinuing active development on Unity and restructure the company a bit, all of us armchair analysts like myself specifically, I'll just talk about me, <clears throat> all said, ah, ha, 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 here we go. Mark Shuttleworth is refactoring the company, getting it ready perhaps for some funding here and there, and eventually to go public, do an IPO. And it seems that is exactly the case. Uh, He was interviewed over at eWeek.com. We've got a link in the show notes by Sean. And some interesting things were revealed by Mark. He said that as long as we stay a private company... Uh, we have complete discretion as to whether we... Maybe I should read this in like a more epic voice for Mark, even though it doesn't sound like... As long as we stay purely a private company, we have complete discretion as to whether we carry things that are not commercially sustainable, Shuttleworth said. Now, that what he's really saying there is when we're a private company, we can dump money into projects that don't make us any money. JB has that luxury, we, a luxury which we may sometimes maybe abuse. And as perhaps Canonical was potentially abusing, because if you look at it from a perspective of maybe a company that needs to make money or a company that wants to go public, then things change. You can't necessarily really justify that. And then Mark goes on to say, <clears throat> what you'll see at some stage soon is that we have broken even on all the pieces that we do commercially without Unity. 
as in Ubuntu makes money, the server stuff makes, yeah. the cloud stuff makes money, the consulting stuff is making money, the OEM deals are making money. They're becoming self-sustainable if you go outside the Unity projects, Unity 8, stuff like that. At some stage after that, we will take a round of investment, which will be a growth round that will be aimed at helping us become a public company in due course. So there you go. Yeah. All right. And um, Big stuff in the works. Yeah. That's what it means, basically. There's nothing too shocking, nothing too majorly uh, revealed there. It's all kind of what we speculated, but the speculation in this case was correct. And um, I mean, it kind of I think it's going to result too, in a right? lean, mean, canonical yeah. machine, actually. Like, no hard feelings. They tried it. They, you know, they did the whole the, the phone thing. They, they played with Unity and, and Mir and go in their own way and, and invading on the Linux desktop. Turns out that's not really what the market wants or, or how things are going to go. And so, yeah, it's yeah. a smart pivot back to what, they, what their core is. He mentioned, uh, you know, shutting down Unity being one of the toughest things he's ever had to do. I, I bet. I'm sure, right? Like, I mean, they, there's obviously a ton of people there, engineers, developers, designers, everyone pouring their heart into it. So mm-hmm. that's hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he went out specifically on a limb himself yeah. to try to say, let's do this as the future. And then nobody bit. And he's like, oh, God, now I got to own up to that. Yeah. And he did it. JJ, you had something you wanted to say. Go ahead. We've had bad luck with people being muted or something today. Discord. I don't know if it's Discord. Yeah, I, or... I think it might just be JJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you? Are you? What do you got? You got some? You got some sort of switch flipped over there, JJ. You got like some sort of like NSA uh, privacy screen up. Uh, what's going on up there? Um, Must be using FreeBSD. There is. I think a... he's using the Librem Five. That's. <laughs> There is a video interview of Mark over on the eWeek website if you want to see you know, that. The beautiful thing about Ubuntu is we, we created the possibility of a platform that's free of charge to its end users with commercial services around it. In the sort of dream that that might define the future in all sorts of different ways. And uh, we really have seen that Ubuntu has moved into the mainstream in a bunch of areas. You know, you think about it. <clears throat> And you watch the full video on their site. Uh, it's it's really good timing still for them because uh, the desktop thing is sort of sorting itself out. Wes and I were just having the conversation earlier that desktop Linux in a lot of ways has gotten really, really, really good recently. Like like we just read that list from the Fedora project. That's a solid list of really, really good is, stuff. Yeah. Uh, Ubuntu 17.10, all three of us are still using it after that you know review. We're like we're like actually still working pretty good for me, and I've put it on even more systems. And that was without like I've hardly configured a thing. And we have some good stuff like Pipewire in the work soon. That's going to solve some really long-standing issues that I've had. You might even be able to get audio on your you know the machine you use <laughs> yeah. for the show. I don't know. Yeah. That's the pipe dream. Uh, and so like that problem is sort of solving itself because you then have OEMs that are then taking that product that's getting pretty good and then they're doing the marketing and targeting at developers and the, and the niche market yeah they're doing the polishing and you have same system 76 are trying to do the same thing to a greater extent with pop os and and then they can focus on the cloud and iot where there is a ton of traction to be gained and they have a pretty good inroad already so it does seem like they have a pretty good chance of making this thing a money-making machine i gotta say it, it takes some some big cojones to you know, cut your losses rather than doubling down again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Chris. Yes, sir. I I don't want to reveal anything that's uh, company confidential, but back in April when Mark announced the end of life of some of these projects, and it was clearly a difficult thing for him to do with um, letting go a bunch of people in the canonical family. Um, 
I found it uh, interesting that I saw a different side of Mark, very, um, very keen on the welfare of the people who were leaving the company. You know, he knew that he couldn't continue to fund these things, that they, that, that it wasn't possible for us to continue developing all these different projects that, that were super interesting and cool and fun. But at the end of the day, they wouldn't make money in the, in the real world. Um, and I, I think he felt really terrible having to let those people go. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think some people see Mark as a very hard headed businessman. Um, and when you look at how much he's financed, not just Ubuntu, but he's used a lot of his money for other things as well, philanthropic stuff, but also other open source projects. You know, he's used some of that money to fund some other distributions, not just Ubuntu. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting to see this news come out now that, um, you know, that, that uh, actually it's a little, a little sad for him that things didn't work out. Yeah, well, who you know, who in their right mind creates something like a, like a project like this? No, I mean nobody gets into this stuff to have to make these really, really awfully hard, sucky business decisions that only business owners or people in that position end up having to make. Um, people in that top role, and it, it's right. it's got to be and, hard. And these, we are, see. You know, these are these are real people, you know, who've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bought into the whole Ubuntu ecosystem, a lot of the people who work for Canonical then and now are ex-community people who were hired in because they were active in the community and they wanted to do cool things with Ubuntu. And there was this guy who came along and you know enabled them to to sit at home mm-hmm. in their office and work on stuff that's super cool. And there aren't many opportunities you get in your life to sit at home and work on something super cool uh, with friends. Um, and he enabled that. And I think that's, um, it's a little sad. And, you know, this, this recent interview coming out is, uh, difficult for those of us looking back on, you know, the, the difficult times back in April, but equally we've got a positive thing to look forward to, which is the company is streamlined and we're, we're not spreading ourselves super thin across a large number of projects that we used to. I mean, I think, you know, a common criticism that I used to have is, uh, too many. They have too many projects. They're too distracted. There's uh, there's no chance they're going to get into mobile. And um, um, you, you know the 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 those were just common. Those were criticisms I might lob, but they're they were just common ones that would be parroted. Yeah, throughout everyone media. said that. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know who's saying that now because those none of those things are true anymore. Like the focus seems to make a lot of sense. The end results are pretty impressive so far, and we don't we're not even privy to all of the ongoing back-end business deals that are profitable to Canonical that are also a result of this work. Uh, but they are, they are happening and they are. It was interesting to see Mark uh, point out that, you know, there are areas of the business that are profitable. Obviously as a privately held company, he doesn't have to reveal details about how profitable each part of the company mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. but on the road to IPO, he's you know going to have to reveal some of this to potential investors in the future. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting to reveal that, you know, something a lot of us internally have known for a while that this is more profitable than people think well canonical has from my experience not and and this is something that was very apparent just at the rally too is 
they have a, a unique combo going in that they're making the software, they're selling the support, and the Ubuntu brand is carrying quite a bit of weight in enterprise now. And so a lot of a lot of a lot of big companies that are scaling out very very fast. And you could think of large media companies online that you know of, or, or or just large web companies that you know of that are scaling very fast. Perhaps they're in a growth trajectory right now. And scaling out large data centers is a massive time commitment. They know that their system runs on Ubuntu. They know that they want Ubuntu-based data centers, but they want somebody who really knows their shit and somebody who will keep it up to date and running well and secure because, damn, isn't cybersecurity an issue now? And, man, do we not want to have to be the ones responsible for managing that? Well, guess who we can call? We call Canonical because they're making the thing. So now all of a sudden Canonical's got a contract to build out a data center, load the software, and then maintain the software. And Canonical can either hand the keys over to them and say, here's your data center, or they can say, actually, you know what? <laughs> Funny thing. We don't feel like hiring 15 people. Do you guys just want to, you know, take care of that for us? And they could, there are multiple ways for Canonical to make revenue by by Ubuntu being free. And um, they all seem obvious because they seem like ones that corporate America would just totally click with. Like that is a that is an arrangement that would make sense to a corporate IT uh, people, especially people that are evaluating risk and time to get something spun up. It's it's a no brainer for them, and th- that's going to be an obvious money maker. And then we know that they re- they have an OEM program with companies like Dell and HP, where there's some kind of arrangement where there's money made on machines that are sold that also is profitable. Uh, and so with that. We have now to look forward to 1804. And now we we are almost out of the Ubuntu section for those of you that are sick and tired of hearing about it. This is the – I know some of you couldn't care less. This is a great little title though. I'm enjoying it immediately We're almost done. Yeah, I know. And we just got – this is news. And uh, it just – it'll be like this probably for like maybe a half another episode because we have some – we have in the works an interview with with, uh, some friends uh, from Canonical that worked really hard specifically on the 1710 release – and uh, we're going to hopefully get them in next week's episode as well as a couple follow-up items. But we now have, before we get out of the Ubuntu corner, a name. Beavering away at the brilliantly bionic 1804, Mark Shuttleworth today posted on his blog the name of 1804 Ubuntu, and it is the bionic beaver. The bionic beaver. There pretty, are so many B words in this post. It's yeah, pretty it's good. incredible. Yeah, he has he, he has some fun. There's the line in here that maybe I could poke Popey's brain about that I feel like maybe I should know more about, and this was sort of news to me. He says in one of his uh, paragraphs here that uh, there's an IRC channel people can jo- uh, join to work with those who are updating Unity 7 for the newest X and kernel graphics in 1804. So oh, yeah, Ooh. so there's a is that a community project to keep Unity Seven going? So I think there's a number of people who have come out of the woodwork saying, you know what, I actually quite like Unity Seven, and I would like it to carry on working the way I like it. Now, I appreciate it's like Marmite; like not everyone likes <laughs> Unity. <laughs> of course, a lot of people like i3 or Gnome Shell or whatever else. Mate, takes your, Plasma, you know, XFCE. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But Turns out we shipped a bunch of machines through hardware vendors that had Unity by default, and a lot of people actually quite like that. And we have noticed a lot of community people who rallied around and said, we'd like to help keep that going. Now, it's great to have community people who are interested in keeping that going, but what we really need is developers. 
because we need people to be able to review patches and understand bug reports, triage them, all the kind of usual stuff you do in the development cycle of a desktop. And we would love to keep Unity 7 well alive through 1804 and beyond. It will be pretty much in maintenance mode. It might be that there could be some new features landing, but given that the fact that Unity 7 is still active in 1604 like i'm running it right now i'm talking to you from my unity 7 uh laptop uh it it's it's not that we're just going to throw it over the wall into github and say there you go it's still hosted on launchpad we still have all the build system in place we still have the bug tracker in place and so on so if we've got people in the community who want to get involved in that then get in contact with us. There's a thread going on on the Ubuntu Community Hub. If you go to community.ubuntu.com, you'll find it easily. It's the thread that says Unity 7 in it. Um, And if you're a developer and you want to see uh, Unity 7 continue, jump on board and we'll get this thing continue rolling through 1804 and beyond. I would love an echo effect there. but Beyond, 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 beyond. I'll be your backup guy. I am... um, I'm not surprised, not going to say I'm surprised at all about this development. Um, in fact, uh, I now feel kind of stupid that we didn't have a betting pool going. But uh, part of me, for some reason, feels like this is the desktop environment to run on the OBS system. I like Unity 7 enough, and uh, I want something... Yeah, at the end, I really didn't have any major problems with it. Literally. Uh, how long have we had this machine running now, Beard? Mm, I mean, it's been since once. since Linux Fest, right? Yeah. Uh, at least, yeah. And that's not, the thing. It it just keeps rocking and keeps ro- yeah. rolling along and along and along. It is literally the least making, trouble I've had. Right. We're not making massive multi, uh, uh, infrastructural changes to Unity 7. There, There's bug fixes, sure. There are bugs in Unity 7. We all know that. There are bugs in Compiz and Nux and the other components that make up Unity 7 experience. And if people want to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. But, you know, it, we'd love it to stay alive. But Compass is still maintained, right? That is actually still being actively maintained. So in a way, that's sort of the core part of Unity 7 that really needs any TLC. And if there's even somebody just nudging that along to make sure it still works with X or whatever. Um, I think a lot of it will be integrating with new stuff that comes along and making sure, sure it still works on you know new versions of whatever components come along within the next six months. It's you know it's a short cycle between now and April next year. Um, I know that the desktop team don't have a huge amount of time to dedicate to this because they're obviously working on the LTS, which is going to be GNOME shell-based. But I'm sure there are people there who would mentor people in the community who want to get involved in this. And if you're interested, I'd love to hear from you. Huh. What a hell of a thing. I'm going to seriously give it a consideration for the OBS for the OBS rig, because it's worked so damn well for the other Skype machine. When I say it's a Skype machine, it runs like a dozen other apps, too, Yeah, right. just for different tasks. Like, one of them is it runs a digital version of our soundboard. Uh, I have it up right now on the screen. I have... Isn't that great? Yeah, it's awesome. It is so great. I have... So I have a... I, there, there, our, our soundboard has a Linux client that connects over Ethernet, over IP... And it is it is exactly synced to my uh, by the by the millisecond. And if I move a slider on the digital soundboard, it physically moves the slider with that's the motor so cool. on the physical soundboard. Yeah. If I didn't have a Dan's face there during tech snap, that's oh, yeah. gonna be right there. Oh yeah, it's a it's a, it's a real winner. But uh, you want your machine to be pretty rock solid that you're controlling your soundboard from. And it, this has been the one. And 
I I I really really like Solus. I've really enjoyed Budgie. Yeah. But uh, we had we had about twenty five minutes this morning. Of, it's kind of unbelievable. Yeah. Of like, no MPV has died for the third or fourth time, and uh, this time it's blaming ironically, I think, Lib System D. <laughs> dot <laughs> so dear dot zero which is really great we don't talk about such things um and I, i'm in the process of trying to do like all the updates even the optional ones just trying to get the system working again and um i've had some weirdness in the software center where it said i had like 46 updates and then i hit apply and it's a, it's like 146 updates or it's like it was a big discrepancy um and then and those kinds of things are, are they're they're not un, they're not a big problem but it did delay the show by by a pretty good factor today and I don't know. I, I feel like to just not have that problem. Not having a functioning video player and not having audio are pretty big problems. Yeah, I'm trying to be nice because I really like Solus. I really like, and I don't. I I, I might have got caught like mid update cycle or who knows. Mm-hmm. So I can't, you know, I can't really say yeah. what the problem was. But uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean there's not a place for Solus, right? Like this this machine can dual boot. You can play with multiple things. We're oh, yeah, a lot absolutely. of this. We end up talking about like the appliance machines where mm-hmm. you just don't. Yeah. you don't want to fuss. Uh, now we're in a place with snaps and just using newer Ubuntu's where you have enough of the... You know what I mean? Like, okay, 1204, OBS wasn't really a thing. You couldn't expect an updated package. But in the 17 and 18 worlds, you get a, a recent build, let alone Correct. their snaps. Yep. It took them a few days, but now there and is a new Docker build. and other... It's like, yeah. it's kind of a different world. That's where, true. Where With... an Ubuntu LTS can fit a lot more roles now. So not only are people in general updating their repos faster. So when, when 17.10 came out, there was no OBS package for 17.10. But, you know, you check three or four days later, now there's an OBS package. And snaps and flat packs also neutralize that particular problem, like you're saying. Yeah. There is several... And images. No, yeah. Sorry, well, sorry. yeah. No, it's true. There are, several, there are several solutions that are converging together to solve the, to solve the software availability problem for all distributions. Depending on which particular methodology you subscribe to, there's multiple of them. There's multiple now. And um, that means, like you're saying, it would be conceivable to just to take a little time and have like that, that classic reason why a lot of us switched to Linux because Windows was so crashy and you wanted the most <laughs> rock solid system yes, possible. Right. Like, I'm going to get back to that. Like, maybe I'll just use Unity 7 on, on, a, on, a, on 1804 with just a few confined applications, and I bet you that thing would run until the day that you uh, that 1804 was no longer supported. And that sounds really appealing to me. That doesn't mean I'm going to do that on my laptop or my, my main workstation, but the three or four machines, one, two, three, four machines, that we five machines that we might reload in here, yeah, I might do it to those. The other nice thing, which I'm still loving, is just you get the ZFS module. You don't have to do any wacky DKMS or precompiles, so like... We can also do that and then take snapshots of machines that are particularly important so we can have restores or easy backups. There's a lot of options going on here. So what I'm hearing is Wes is upgrading the studio. <laughs> I think that's what's happening. Yep, I just signed up for it. So this discussion about reloading the machines in the studio, it's happening. This is something I've been working on um, slowly over last week after our episode last week. Hello. Hello. You know, I heard, I, so I heard somebody somebody told me this re- recently that they never hear the airplanes that we mentioned, so I'm going to stop mentioning if there's airplanes flying over. Yeah, here. if you guys can't hear them, it'll just be our little secret. Yeah, you know, we'll all be the only ones that know. Anyways, back on track. This week, I started loading, like, my lower priority systems to 1710. And I've been working my way up the chain to, this, to the studio. And now I'm at the studio. And, and so I wanted to take a moment and figure out another another solution while we're in this transition. And that's when it really struck me, this is a case for setting up a remote desktop environment. One on the LAN and one in the cloud. 
So that way, while we destroy the installations of these machines and then begin to reset them up with all the little teensy-tiny things we need, in a pinch, when I'm on air, I could remote into a system that is completely configured, has been for maybe a couple of weeks before the transition even started. So it's well used. It's been well set up. I can remote into that box, and it doesn't matter if the system here in the studio is a blank slate, because inside that remote session, I'll have everything I need. But to make that work, it has to be extremely high performant. Yeah. Because I want to be able to show visuals on the screen. I can't have crazy weird lag. It's got to meet your regular standards for a desktop usable system. Yeah. And if possible, I'd like to use it for work during the day. So I'd like it to be pretty responsive. So that's pretty responsive and, and maybe even support video playback. And so that is what led me down this path to where I'm at today. And... um. I uh, I would say this is still somewhat in flux. Like one of the things I'm considering is instead of using the Mate desktop, maybe try a system like a parallel system running XFCE. I'll you know what? I'll explain why in a moment because Mate has been pretty good, but I, I have had a I have had a couple of hiccups. So if you're considering doing this, I want to pre warn you. It, it might not be a big deal, but I just want to I want to pre warn you. So let's take a moment. Let's thank DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com, create the account. And use our promo code Linux Unplugged. It's a way to get really fast systems in up in their infrastructure, which is data centers all over the world, with, within seconds. SSDs for every system you deploy and a beautiful dashboard to manage all of it. And there's still a few days left to get in on this Hacktoberfest. You, are you hip to this Hacktober stuff? No. Tell me oh, more. Tell me man. more. Well, first of all, DigitalOcean is just pretty awesome because this, at the end of the day, is just supporting a bunch of open source projects. It's getting open source code written and then giving people some swag for doing it. Wait, so, I get a t-shirt if I do this, yeah, maybe? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, you actually, you'd be good at this. So Hacktoberfest is open to everyone in the world. Pull requests can be made on any GitHub hosted repository or project, and you sign up anytime between October 1st and October 31st. You make, pull, you make four pull requests between October 1st and 31st in any time zone. It can be to any public repo on GitHub, not just the ones that they've highlighted. The pull request must contain commits you've made yourself. Pull requests reported by maintainers as spam or that are automated will be marked as invalid. It won't count. But they have a couple of examples here, um, and they're all open source projects. And there's some of them. There's some open source projects we talk about all the time. Some of them are less known. Um, like here's one for Discord, Discord.net. That's interesting. Nice. <laughs> uh, they had uh, they had a, a, a Rocket Chat on here earlier. They have NW.js on here. They have Hugo, which is really interesting. It's a really cool, flexible static site generator. Written in Go. Yeah, and so the idea is is to give a little help and exposure to some of these open source projects, and then um, also you know give away some swag. So that's their Hacktoberfest. It goes to the end of the month for, and it's open to anybody in the whole dang world. DigitalOcean.com. Go there, try them out. I'm going to be talking about them in this, in this coming segment because one of the two remote desktop sessions I've set up is running on DigitalOcean. And one of the things I did is I got the uh, three cents an hour system. And then I attached 100 gigabytes of block storage, which I am dedicating just to my home directory. That's on uh, spinning rust, right? That's <laughs> like really all slow. all SSDs, oh, my friend. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's extremely fast. It's it's nuts, nuts fast. In fact, I, I invite you to play around with it. It's, it's really satisfying. Um, and so I just dedicated from 100 gigs of DigitalOcean block storage to uh, my, my droplet that runs remote desktop. So I have a big old home drive, which I really, really like. Uh, they have a new object storage system they call Spaces as 
as well. And the network is blazing fast. 40 gigabit connections coming into their hypervisors. Go check them out. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code DOUnplugged. It's DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DOUnplugged. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this year's Linux Unplugged program. So, yeah, I'm using X2Go. And I'm using it with Ubuntu Mate, and um, it's pretty good. I'm gonna—I'll sh- give you guys a demo here in a minute. If you're—if you're watching, you'll—you'll you'll see. But even if you're listening, I'll—I'll I'll describe it to you. Um, and to make this all hum, I'm—I'm I'm using X2Go on top of Ubuntu Mate 17.10, 17.10 for both the systems. To do that on DigitalOcean at this point, I had to install a 17.04 image, and then I did an upgrade to 17.10, which went fine. Yeah, yeah. just totally fine. It was a you know pretty clean base system too. You know, I even realized I could have snapshotted it if anything had gone on. But <laughs> That's I just true. Didn't. Yeah, look at, use them features. Yeah. Um, and what I love, love, love about X2Go is that you can run it on a headless system that doesn't have a full X setup, doesn't have a monitor, mouse, and keyboard. Yeah, definitely. So it works on a system that's just up in a rack somewhere. And X2Go is a graphical remote desktop that works really well over low bandwidth connections. It has a lot of scaling options. It has the ability to disconnect and then reconnect to a session. So I can be working, close it, come down into the studio and reconnect. Everything's right back where I left it off. It has sound redirection. It's a little wonky sometimes, but it supports Pulse Audio. And it has support for shared folders, which I have not really tried. But I my, did not know that. Yeah, That's my, slick. my understanding is it's using SFTP on the back end to do that. Though I guess there's, you could set up, there's a lot of options for that. Yeah, all the traffic is tunneled over SSH. And so everything's going over SSH. What makes X2Go cooler than just, say, like straight old traditional X11 forting? Because a lot of people will just say, well, we'll just use SSH with X11 forting and you don't, you don't need to install any extra packages. But X2Go uses an, the NX library, which was developed by No Machine. And uh, they, stopped, they stopped releasing it as open source a little while ago. But X2Go is based off the last released open source version. And it has right. been approved upon. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, has, it has basically t- solved all of the latency-intensive parts of X1140. And they've worked around those really latency-intensive parts by creating an NX proxy on each side of the network connection, so on the client and on the server. And then it's sending compressed updates between the two proxies. And so X is getting immediate response from these two proxies, and then they handle the transferring of, of all of that stuff in a much more efficient means. And by doing so, you only have to install a few extra X stuff to get X to go working. You don't have to have a full X to go graphical environment. And uh, I have, I'll have uh, the commands you need to run to install that in the show notes. And um, I'll tell you what, guys. It is it is pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive how fast you can get. Now, there's just certain limitations I'll go into, but just as a as a as a base start, if you start with a desktop environment that is not composited, so like your Mates or uh, an XFCE, so GNOME three and Unity seven and Plasma desktop, the latest versions are all kind of out unless you use software rendering. And there there is a way to get it work working with GNOME fallback mode too, the classic mode, um, but I, I did not. I chose not to do that. If you use a, so if you use like a, TD, a 2D desktop, basically, you get essentially damn near local performance on the LAN and scaling performance on your remote connection. I went with Mate, and the main problem I've had so far is I will open up, I'll resume a session on different computers at different resolutions, 
And sometimes the system tray area of Mate just is really gummed up. Like uh, all of my notification icons will all be stacked on top of each other. Oh, yeah, that seems like a tricky area. And here's what happened. So I, I set up Dropbox because I want to get all of my unfiltered clips on both systems so I can, rem- so I can edit that stuff um, remotely. And I'll talk more about uh, that uh, in a second. So I set up, I set up, I install Dropbox because I'm still using Dropbox for the unfiltered show because we have like a terabyte of data in there. It's a hard thing to move around. It's actually more than a terabyte of data. And so I, I start it, installs, and now the way Dropbox works on Linux is it starts syncing instantly. It starts syn- just immediately as soon as you connect it to your Dropbox account. And I, I go in there and I use Selective Sync, so that way I only pull down about like 10, 15 gigs nice. of the over a terabyte <laughs> of data. But because all of these icons in the system tray all stacked all over each other in some weird, crappy bug after the screen size had changed, I, I kept right-clicking on the system tray and getting everything but the Dropbox icon. Well, this is on a DigitalOcean droplet. And this thing's pulling down my Dropbox at just maddening speeds. It's just right. – it's filling the disk at just an unbelievable rate. And I'm like – I, I just load-testing Dropbox I got nothing. for them. I got, yeah. Like, there's like – I got no option because <laughs> I can't get to this icon to go into selective sync mode because of this. So I, I had to kill the entire desktop session and log back in so that way the, 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 the system tray bar little area, notification applet area, would get redrawn. You're saying Dropbox needs a text-based config file. Well, it needs some sort of – it needs some sort of like – No, I'm just trolling. It does have a command line, actually, but it needs some way to talk to the GUI version from the command line. Um, and then once I logged back in, redrew the system tray area, I was able to solve the problem. But yeah, quite a bit of gigabytes have been downloaded by then. Where I feel like maybe XFCE wouldn't have had that problem, perhaps. You're probably right about that. Um, so I'm just going to play with that, but I have Monte on both of them right now. Uh, Bashful, you wanted to jump in about compositing desktops. I would love to talk about that for a second because that would, oh, I would love to get a like a like a GNOME 3 remote desktop session if that's possible. Well, so just to give a little history, with my day job, we work in this exact space, except more on the performance side, like leveraging GPUs and such for a bunch of our clients like Pixar and all those guys. So a lot of them, even with the performance stuff, they still traditionally go without compositing. Um, So while you can get the performance for CAD and video editing and even like video streaming and so on and so forth, uh, a lot of the desktop stuff people still tend to disable. Okay. You know, and that was sort of what I kind of come to is in my rig that I have here on the LAN of the studio where I can get to the OBS files and I can I can talk to all the other machines on the network. That's the machine I have the GTX 960 in where if I need to do some sort of GPU job, that would be the remote desktop. So here's my setup. Tell me what you guys think. I got I got the two rigs. I've got Orbital and Suborbital. Orbital is a system up at DigitalOcean. And its key strengths are in, insane bandwidth. It's just incredible bandwidth performance. And essentially unlimited disk. I just got to throw money at the problem and very, very, very fast disk, as well as snapshots. So it's a good system to take risks on. So that's my orbital system. And you could probably, like, uh, if you needed to, you could destroy it and rebuild it. Let's say you were hanging out in Singapore and you needed it, you wanted it local there. Or or move it. Yeah. Um, So that's orbital. And then I have suborbital, which is here in the studio. And it's primary, it's the same, trying to match the interfaces as much as possible. And suborbital's main advantages are. Local GPU with, you know, 960 with the NVIDIA proprietary driver. A fair amount of local storage, but not too much. Mm-hmm. Not nearly what I have Just in the drop. Enough. Yeah. And then, of course, the gigabit local access to all the studio resources. And um, for me, it, it is sort of like, it's kind of sort of great because, like, if I have a network-intensive job, I log into one system. And if I have a compute-intensive job, I can log into the other system. 
Um, and I'm, I'm kind of playing with the idea of trying to figure out all the ways I could sync more of the settings to make sure if I change something in one system, it synchronizes to the other system. Right. I'd really like to start looking into that now. But again, I've We're really got right back to configuration management, aren't we? On yeah, this episode, I guess so. Boy, it really is. That, but then I've really got to nail down that desktop environment. Yes. What do you think, Bashful? You say Mate is the winner, Mate? Yeah, it is. Uh, kind of by far too. I was running it for quite a while at work here, and out of all the desktops, it was the only one that was decent. If you wanted a full blown desktop versus like going with like a tiling manager, did you try XFCE? Uh, at the, let me think about this. All right. You know what? I'm not going to say yay or nay on that. I'll have, now you got me thinking I might go load one just to test <laughs> on. <laughs> I'd be curious. I'd be curious. The the thing that really blows me away about Xtago, if you're putting on Ubuntu or Arch, actually it's in Solus too. Um, but if you're doing it on Ubuntu, it's, you add a PPA and you do all the dance you have to do to, to, you know, update your, your sources list. But then it's just, it's really, you just need two packages if you already have Mate installed or whatever desktop environment you want. You just have to apt-get install x2go server and x2go server-x session. Not all of xorg. Like, it'll pull in its dependencies that it needs, but sure, sure. you don't have to pull... It is, it is really simple to create a to create a system on a VPS, like DigitalOcean or any other one, and install these couple of packages, and then you remote into it, and you're the display. You don't need a display attached. Because the way x2go works is it has... Um, sort of like if you're familiar with Citrix and other remote desktop clients, it has a, a client manager, a session manager, where you have you can have multiple servers listed there, and you can set different settings and different compression settings for the different servers. You can set up your shared folders. It's all done with a graphical interface. It's all in the GUI. It's it's so it's so straightforward. In fact, I'll I'll give you a little demo because it's not perfect. It's definitely not perfect, but it's pretty powerful. And I would definitely trade the power for perfection in this particular case. Um, and all of this stuff is. Is, is really sort of um, uh, kind of basic. Like if you just leave the defaults, you're going to generally be you're going to generally be okay. Uh, let's take a moment. Thank Linux Academy because honestly, if uh, any of this stuff sounds interesting to you, you could dive in even deeper over at Linux Academy. So this would be a good moment to do this. LinuxAcademy.com/unplugged. Go there to sign up and get a free seven day trial. They have self paced in depth video courses, hands on scenario based labs that really help it stick, and instructor mentoring by real human beings when you get stuck and need some help. A course schedule when you're busy. Comprehensive study guides you can download and take with you, and audio nuggets that are sparkly bits of wisdom that you can deep dive into, and a community that's full of clones of West Payne. It's kind of weird, actually. Yeah, we get along great. It's awesome. <laughs> LinuxAcademy.com slash unplug. They also have iOS and Android apps and uh, flashcards that get forked. It's a pretty great platform, really. I mean, if you think about it, uh, it's something that uh, would be like if you could just take all of Linux Academy and go back in time and give it to yourself like oh my eight, God. ten years, oh, man. you'd be Ugh. like Biff bringing back the uh, playbook. Uh, you, just, you, could, you, you could get so ahead of everybody. It's, it's one of our precious resources. We should launch it up and encapsulate it in a satellite for future humanity. That's how important it is. Or for aliens. They need it too. That's yeah. true. We, I mean, Linux is going to be the kernel that takes over their world once they learn about it. The so. GPL is a viral yeah, license. exactly. We all know. So go, go get hedged now. It's kind of wild. Like, I have to say, you know, you're motivated, right? You want to learn Linux. You're listening to this show. Obviously, you're interested in these topics. But when you, like, have a job and a family mm-hmm. and, all that, like, and you have, like, Tell me the end it. of the day and you're tired, there's a million reasons that you can come up with not to learn something. Go, girl. But Linux Academy breaks down 
every single possible barrier. They can't actually make you type things and do the learning, but everything else <laughs> yep. is set up right for you. It's, so true. It's awesome. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Big thank you to them for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged is where you get a free seven-day trial and you support this here shenanigans. So I am in the process of reinstalling a bunch of packages on Solus. Let's see. Oh, you know what? It launched just It launched just fine. Isn't that wonderful? So you have the X2Go client session manager. Were you going to say something, Beard? You're gonna... well, I was just going to ask, have mm-hmm. you uh, tested out X2Go at all on like a more flaky connection? Well, on a MiFi, you know, which is pretty, pretty crap. Yeah, wow. Pretty, pretty crap. <laughs> what kind of bandwidth do you get on that thing? It's, it ranges depending on the day. Um, so if I, it depends on which connection I'm on. So if I'm on a Ting connection uh, or an AT&T connection or a public Wi-Fi connection, because I, I sort of ra- use all of them. Uh, listen to user error back catalogs for more information where I outlined it all. And in there, I, I have a large variance. Yeah. And I can get up to I can get up to maybe seven megabits where I'm usually at. And I can get as low as easily as low as four hundred kilobits a second. I mean it can be a it can be a pretty dramatic range depending on how much bandwidth I've used, how loaded the network is, and all of those things. So I have tested this from everything from gigabit to probably around five hundred K a second. And so maybe that's a good place to start. We could we could take a look at this. So there in in X to go, you have the uh, client session manager. And uh, I could, I have, uh, I have two connections up right now. And uh, let's take a look here at the uh, suborbital one. This is the one here on the LAN. So this could be an example of how you would maybe do this. So I, uh, I can disconnect my session. I can pause it right here. So I'm suspending a session I already have open, which is uh, always a lot of fun. And then I can go in and I can edit that session. And I have my different options I can choose from. And in here, you can see the host, the username I wanted to use by default, and the port. So if you're maybe forwarding a random ass port to 22, you could, you could override that and put in here you can with a drop down option you can choose the desktop environment that you're going to be logging into so they have mate right here in the drop down already they also have unity cinnamon trinity uh, xdmcp um, connecting to a local desktop and notably support for connecting to an rdp server a windows terminal server oh, is that right mm-hmm. but here's the really interesting stuff so on the connection tab this is where you have your connection speed preferences. And because I'm on a LAN, I've, I have a slider. Just that max go- that baby. Yeah, it goes everywhere from modem to LAN. And this, ch- this change is not only compression, but how the pa- what the size of the packets that get sent. And uh, so on, when you're on a MiFi, you go to modem. And here on LAN, I can go to LAN. But then they have a, you know, a million different compression options. This is something I spent some time playing with because they have... You can do no compression. You can do adaptive compression. Mm. But you can also say lock it in at 16 meg JPEG or lock it in at, uh, at 24K PNG. So you can choose different image compression depending on if your preference is speed or image quality. And I have found that 16 meg uh, JPEG has been pretty good for me. They also even have some RDP compression, which all works pretty well. And then they have your input and output for the size of it. The DPI, so if you're on a high DPI screen, you can you can pass that along to X2Go. So it does support high DPI, but you have to manually enter that in here. Then you have your sound options. So I can have it redirect sound to my local Pulse audio. You can use SSH port forwarding to tunnel the sound system connections through firewalls. So you don't have to open up, a, you, don't, you do not have to open up a separate port. And then on the shared media tab, in here is where you can add your local files and it will use SFTP to... Um, to actually transfer those files. So now here, I'll, sh- I'll show you what it's like to log in. So I'm logging into the one here on my LAN. In the background, I have uh, 
Let me minimize that guy. In the background here, this is the system up on DigitalOcean right here. And you can actually start to see the problem right here in the system tray with this double uh, volume icon oh, yeah. thing that's going on. I haven't on. seen that before. Mm-hmm. That's due to me you know, changing the resolutions. But to Monte's credit, if I resize this X2Go window here, Monte will snap pretty well to that. Boom. And it resizes pretty dynamically. So to, to its credit, I can sit here and I can screw around with the window size proportions and, and Monte actually handles it pretty good. It's just sometimes those notification icons lose their crap. Yeah. But um, before I log into the local LAN system, while I have it up on the screen, here is the system that I have up on DigitalOcean. I call this one Orbital. I'll try to get it on the screen. And I just thought maybe if you're watching the video version, I'd show you what the performance is like. Yeah, walk us around a bit. So let's open up. Here's my file manager. And uh, I can, you can see I can, when I maximize the window, it's, you can see there's that a, was sl- pretty, it's pretty good. There's yeah. a real slight delay, but it's pretty usable. Here's me dragging the window around. Again, maybe not quite as smooth as, as if I was running locally, I'd also be using Compass too, though. Right. But uh, in terms of like latency, like when I type in terminal, it's, it's right on the money for me. It's, uh, there's no delay there, right? It's, it's, it, it pops up on the window. I can start typing immediately. Uh, when, I, when I hit enter on commands, like they'll show up instantaneously on screen. There's, there's really there's no, no delay here in which would prevent me from working. Um, I can, let's try browsing the web. This is usually the most challenging, actually, is, is this browsing the web thing because uh, it involves oh, you redrawing. You've got it signed into your account and everything. Oh, Look yeah. at this. Oh, That's it's, great. It's ready to go for me. Oh, yeah, it's ready to go at all the times. This is actually probably the best test. Scrolling a, a complicated web page, this web page is Twitter. It has video playing on it right now. And you can see there's some sort of herky-jerky as, yep. it, as it reloads. And there's a little bit of delay. Like when I stop, it keeps going for just a brief moment. We could, and I, the remote server, I have to keep in mind, doesn't have any sort of you know GPU even integrated to help with the, right with exactly the fancy right exactly totally. So now let's compare that to here. I'll I'll log into my local system. Now this is with uh, with my compression settings basically saying let's have at it. You're on a you're on a you're on a LAN or you're on a LAN connection. So let's just go nuts. And so th- this will kind of be a good comparison if you have a pretty fast connection. So that's a slower connection. What we just showed you. It's usable. It's very usable. There's just some herky jerky when you're scrolling or dragging windows, but it's definitely usable. And if you're working in a terminal, you're working in a text editor, you're you're browsing web, you're chatting Telegram, all these things, Slack, all work just fine in that slower connection. But now let's take a look at the at the land speeds where I feel like it really shines. So let's go back. We'll do the Twitter test here again. We'll make it nice and big so that way it's the same size. We start doing the scrolling much smoother. And it's mm-hmm. it's right on point with me too. Like it, there's no latency. When I stop scrolling, it scrolls. This, you, if I didn't tell you this is a remote session, I don't think you would be able to tell on your own. I think you, I think you could legitimately sit down at this computer and yeah, not, that was like maximized and yeah, 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 and not suspect this is a remote session. It is that performant over the LAN. This is key for me because that means I can sit down in any of these systems and have a really great, really well performing experience. So much so that check this out. We'll go into the Unfilter Archive here, and we can play a little Cyber News. And uh, the video actually plays. I don't. Are we going to get full cyber here? This is their audio, too. This is from the remote session. ...is now putting nearly all of them at risk. Wow. A bug known as crack. No, not crack. a fundamental flaw in the technology. And that is live from my remote session, video and audio, and they're synced up. It's playable. I mean, it's... 
damn impressive. And this is a headless this is a headless Ubuntu box. That's awesome. Out in the garage right now. Mm. Side note, it's really fun to watch mainstream media try to cover things like what Crack. Yeah. yeah, they are the worst <laughs> of that, aren't they? <laughs> so the, you can see there's a so let's go just just as a just as a comparison note now. It, let's go try to play that same video on the remote session. Because again, I have these things pretty synced up. So I have sort of the same stuff on both systems. So we go play the same clip now on the remote session. Let's see how that works. Well, a security feature. Ooh, much herkier, jerkier. Barely wa- not watchable. The audio is staying current, though. That's impressive. Audio is staying current, but it is, it is a disastrous slideshow. <laughs> that could be because there's, I, don't, I doubt it's, that's a GPU thing. I think that's just a compression thing. I'm pretty sure that's just compression. Um, but it is such a game changer for me. That's awesome. Because it's still usable even over the MiFi. It's still completely usable. And I'm able to do bandwidth intensive things in the remote session. And then when it's time for me to come into the studio, I close the window. And I sit back down at the system here. And I reopen the window. And if I'm working nothing off of suborbital, it's just it's super fast. Not, but if I'm working off of the remote system, nothing, everything's the same. Nothing's changed. And it performs great here on the, uh, on the connection for the studio. So X2Go is definitely worth a look. It's still very, very relevant. I don't know what its future is in a Wayland universe, but to be honest, I'm not as concerned about that yet. You'll get there. I, I don't think the production systems are going to Wayland in the next year or so. So I, that's a problem for future Chris in about two years, maybe. Unless that gnome Wayland session doesn't crash so much. Or if Pipewire comes up with some yeah, really right. badass remote system. Like, if anybody knows a way that's even more performed than X2Go, I absolutely would try it. Because video editing is still a little herky-jerky for me. I know that's a very high bar, but boy, wouldn't that be a treat. In the past, I've used XPRA, or it's also um, part of the, the WinSwitch project. Yeah, okay. I know WinSwitch supports like multiple operating systems. I don't know um, how X to go. And if you look online, if you search for a comparison between the two, you'll almost exclusively find Hacker News posts, Reddit posts asking for a comparison, and then no further comments. So it's a little bit different, and I haven't <laughs> used both of them. But maybe XPRA is something you could try mm. uh, and just compare. In the past, I'd been running... Uh, OBS on a droplet, and I've been using that to control the stream, and that was working pretty nicely. Yeah. I did not do any like intensive editing necessarily, so I can't not speak even, to that. I'm but. not talking intensive editing. I'm talking like uh, Avid Mux, clip off the end, clip off the beginning, grab 30 seconds of a clip, very basic mark in out, mark, mark the in, mark the out, export. Yeah. So it might be worth just throwing that on uh, on that same droplet and just connecting up and seeing, seeing yeah. what the experience will you, is like. Will you toss a link to that in the show notes section? I sure will. I would love to take a look at that. When you were suggesting... Uh, a couple other things too, but go ahead. I know you want to say something, Beardsley. Mm-hmm. Oh, you had suggested um, Splashtop. Oh yeah, yeah. Which could work because it basically encapsulates the entire desktop. Yeah, it's as like basically an, just a video stream. It's an H.264 stream. Yeah, that then you know takes your inputs and outputs and and forwards them. Kind of sounds like a water park ride, but uh, <laughs> yeah. that's just a perk, I guess. So Splashtop might also be a good solution. But the thing about the thing I really like about X2Go is there's no session running uh, at the ter- at the desktop at the at the physical machine. Mm-hmm. These are these are sessions that run headless that I can pop in and pop out of, and I could still go hook up a monitor, and mouse, and keyboard to that machine and log in at the desktop, I suppose, if I wanted to, at least on the on the local one. Really cool. There are ways to connect to the local desktop too, so there is ways to connect to the to the to the running session. I just don't. That's not that's not what I'm using it for. Does anybody have any input in the uh, in the Discord there on on this particular topic or how they do remote desktop for Linux or? And I am specifically going for, like, remote desktop, not just SSH, because this is using SSH, actually. I have that as an option, too, now, obviously. Right, but you need the graphical thing. You already have a solution for remote yeah. terminals. We figured that out, like, 10 years ago. You know what You know what works? If you do, by the way, in the Discord room, just toss a hand in the chat. Um, you know what works 
super well for me is having a basic bitch terminal that I'm sitting at that has, um, you know, a couple of, couple of X terminals or something, like whatever, that I can SSH into these boxes that I'm X to going into. So then I have, I have a graphical interface, and then in the background, I have an SSH terminal command line into that box. And if anything gets weird in my graphical environment, I am one second away, less than a second away, from tabbing over to that terminal and killing a process or fixing the issue. It's like I have, I have a backdoor into the main system I'm always working on in a way that gives me like this really supreme confidence that like I'm going to be able to handle anything that happens in that graphical session because I've got this emergency persistent backdoor. And because both these systems, like the one on DigitalOcean and the one on the LAN, are so rock solid – my SSH session has been running to both these systems now on one of my boxes for like six days without without being broken. So like the terminal is always there, always connected in. It's it's always just a couple of commands That's away. Awesome. That's great. It is. It's just a cool way to work. I really like it. Bashful, you had a comment on GPU. Go for it. I'd love to hear about that. I'm just curious out of a bunch of the stuff that you've done research on, have you found anything that actually leverages the GPU? Well, I think Splashtop would. Um because it's it might be when it's encoding. You know, for me, I don't actually I don't need my desktop session to be composited. What I need the GPU for is encoding video, or potentially maybe running OBS, which maybe that's where I'd run into this problem. Because I do want I do want to experiment with that as well. Um, so those are some I could see some workloads in the future where it'd be a problem. Yeah, I know a bunch of the a uh, couple of the big three are looking towards GPU workloads with remote desktop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering on the pricing behind it. Like, yeah. there's already things that can leverage it both for the desktop session and so on and so forth. But it's pretty damn pricey. I could see for my orbital system, the one that I I call it orbital because it's out in the cloud. Uh, I could see moving that to like a, to say if like Amazon or somebody came around or your Rackspace or or an Azure came around and said we can do hosted Linux desktop and it'll be it'll have a GPU and you can connect to it from any operating system and it's. $25 a month. I may give it a serious consideration because this is a legitimate work tool for me, mm-hmm. but it's going to be impossible for any of them to compete with Suborbital, the system I have on the LAN, because that's got, that's got gigabit access to my OBS recording. That's got, it's got gigabit access to all the other machines. It's got physical hardware that I can come in and I can plug into it and then get access to. So maybe I want to one day plug in an SD card reader to it or something, you know, weird stuff like that that I could never get in a hosted system. So it's to me, having these two boxes is the invaluable part because the orbital system is totally independent of the studio. If the studio goes offline or I'm in some weird place and it's way faster for me to connect to that, I've always got that. But I can't ever see replacing suborbital because that's, that's, that's unique because it's here on the LAN. I think the GPU instances are probably at least not in the short term never going to come in at like 25 bucks a pop if you just look at what it costs to go and rent one on like google compute or amazon or whatever like they're significantly more expensive Mm. and that's not even running them you know full time Hmm. well i am grateful that mate works as well as it does actually really you know when i look at how i can resize these windows and just sort of abuse (laughs) it and it just sort of snaps back for the most part i'm pretty grateful for that and i'm really grateful that it has I have put it I, – I took the Redmond layout and I've modified the Redmond layout, which puts essentially everything in one bar at the bottom. So you have your, your task switcher, your launchers, your system tray. I'm not doing any docs or anything like that. I just have like some quick launch icons. And then um, I've got uh, one of the Mate launchers here. I don't think it's Brisk, um, but maybe. Oh, yeah, it is Brisk. Yeah, I've, in fact, I replaced the one it had for the for the Redmond and I added Brisk. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just so freaking functional. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. Like I've got, 
I just, I can't, I'm just, I could rave for, I could rave for two episodes about how there is really something to that just straightforward, practical, everything works as I expected. It's rock solid. I mean, these systems have been running for days now and I just pop in, pop out all the time and they're always there ready to work from whatever machine I'm connecting from. It's really great. And if you haven't played around with it, the barrier to entry is super low. I'll have the uh, commands you need to run if you're on Ubuntu to install it. It's really just a few packages. It's also available on a lot of other distros. I really encourage you to play around with it, even if you're just playing around on your LAN. Or you just want to get more use out of um, one really powerful system in your house. Because you can have multiple people logged in at the same time. Or even, I mean, like you can use it for more traditional things too, you know, like uh, supporting family members or others. If you have that installed, you just, if you have these instructions now, just get Mm -hmm. it set up one time. And then when you need to jump on their box, there you go. But you could also, you know, if money's tight, you could get one really nice family system and then just scrape together, get a couple of dumb terminals that are... I was immediately thinking about that. Yeah, right. Like have one big beacon. Or Chromebook even. You know, get some Chromebooks. And, and they, yep. Then the Chromebooks run next to go. They connect into it. And the one central box in your house has got the i7. It's got the GPU. It's got the disk. You can also disc. then like easily manage backups and all kinds of stuff that way. Well, and start thinking about how it changes your media management too. Um, I, you know, if I, if I load MB on one of these things and I start just doing my downloads and my media management on one of these things, then... All of a sudden, life just gets a lot easier because the MB server is running locally on the box. The media files are all locally on the box. I can remote into it and have local access, or I can stream it over MB. Like there starts when you start doing when you start using when you take a basically a Linux server and you put a desktop on it is essentially what I've done. <laughs> right, yeah, there's actually surprisingly nice uses for having a desktop on a server if it's not hosting web pages or performing traditional server roles. If it's doing more like syncing your media maybe downloading files for you, things like that. All of a sudden, it's very useful. Yeah. I really like it. And it, it's it's something, it's a solution that's not new to me. I, I did something like this eight, nine years ago when I worked at a, at, a, at a school that had very restrictive web filtering. I would remote into a physical box that I had in a rack in a data center somewhere. And uh, I used no machine back then, no machine oh, NX, nice. which yeah. is what this is based off of. And it worked back then. And uh, it, it's it's sort of an old idea. And it just still really holds a lot of water, especially with seventeen ten Ubuntu Mate. I'm not making any kind of compromise in a in a modern desktop environment. And you, I mean, as we all know, Chris, you're uh, somewhat picky in terms of you know interactions, other things. So if like if this wasn't usable, you would be the first. Oh, to that's say. true. I, I would, <laughs> yeah. And I'm still like, you know, I may try XFCE, and if I could have a GPU accelerated composited desktop, I might. Like <laughs> right? Yeah, little... I don't have to have one. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. In the meantime, it gives me the freedom to uh, sort of wreak havoc in the studio, and at least know I've got. Uh, a couple of escape patches where all my stuff's already logged in, ready to go. Telegram's right there. Slack's right there. All my S, all my bookmarks. The shows all my show notes. can go on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's really what it's all about. And it really, you know, gosh, it's just it's just so low overhead. I love I love that about open source software. Yeah, I didn't have to go spend hundreds of dollars to get some sort of remote desktop package. I didn't I didn't have to hassle with any of that. Not to you know not to not to overstress that, but that is just such a nice thing when you all of a sudden get a wild hair and you think, oh my gosh. I could solve this problem I'm about to have with free software. It really <laughs> is empowering. It really is great. And that's the message right there we want to end on. But I'd love to hear what you do for remote desktop access, especially if you got one that performs super, super well. Please, please let us know. Comment wherever you watch this, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact or linuxunplugged.reddit.com. That subreddit definitely could use some love. Okay, Wes, guess what? It's time to end the show today. Yeah. Yeah. Beardsley, how do you think the Discord test went? Pretty pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. We're going to be back on Mumble while we evaluate. So join us back on Mumble next week if you want to participate in the virtual lug. Find out when this show is live over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash K. 
calendar and join us live at jblive.tv where we've got the live stream there as well as links to watch it in other places. You've been commanded. No excuses now. There is no excuse. Make it happen. Make it show, as uh, Kevin McCarr would say. Follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode, and we'll see you back here next week for episode 221. Woo! Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. I got a little post show in me. Yeah, Ooh, I got a little post show. Some postings. Yeah, so Bashful's got some follow up, uh, some real time follow up here. And then before Poby goes, uh, I have some FOMO uh, stuff I want to talk to him about. But Bashful, yeah, I gotta, I gotta hear what I gotta. Yeah, gotta that's such a up. tease over that's there. A big tease over here. Well, I got to be careful how much I say, but um, long and the short of it is, is that where I'm working right now. We actually have an agent, a different that runs over the PCIP protocol that can leverage the GPUs natively. Oh, for for remote, for remote, oh, I want. Yep. This, so this basically, our entire company's. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of on its way. Um, like our whole company runs remotely. Everything in our office is just either a laptop or what's called a zero client. Interesting. That's and pretty cool. so there's Whole basically business. no computers. So I'm I'm preaching yeah, to the choir when good. it comes to you guys. You guys are already hip to this notion. Yeah, we've been. Well, I mean, that's what the company I work for was founded on, and stuff like that. And so, for example, Amazon Workspace is their Windows offering. Like that's our agent. You know, that's really how I got I got and into IT actually, this kind of stuff, doing remote desktop terminal services stuff. It's interesting. It's still now it's just getting hosted by larger companies. Well, it's that, um, and also a lot of people tend to look at it for now. I almost equate it to application streaming. So where yeah, a lot yeah, of our yeah. workloads are going is people bringing specific applications over the net, and it's yeah. a lot of like CAD and video editing and stuff like that. Basically, everyone wants to leverage remote resources and hardware. X, I was gonna, I should have mentioned X to Go also has support for publishing just a just a single app, but yeah. Um, so Popia, I have to ask, what's, uh, tell me, you, you are, I believe you are preaching the church of Rust to everybody. And I, I, ha- I feel like I'm totally left out. <laughs> I, have no, I know Rust is a game. I know there's something, it's not just a programming language. Um, but, um, yep. uh, what kind of, what chase someone right now? Is it, so it's like, game. <laughs> what, is it like an open yep. world game? Yeah. Survival. Discord hmm. outed you that you were playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm playing at the moment, and uh, and it obviously works under Linux. I take it, Popey. Oh yeah. It's a- Can I ask how many penises you've seen in the past half hour? Penises? Well, that's pretty personal. <laughs> they're, they're, Rust is notorious for having a, a lot of uh, male genitalia swinging around. So, is it like a is it like co-op environment? Is it self-hosted servers? What is the uh, is it a multiplayer at all, Popey? Is it single player? Yeah, yeah, it's totally multiplayer. Uh, so it's a big open world. Think Minecraft, but with decent yeah, graphics. Yeah, no wonder it's so big. But, exactly. Um, okay. 
Okay. Oh, it's it's hilarious. Um, it's sorry, I, I I'm playing it right now while we're talking, and uh, so the premise is uh, you arrive naked on an island, and you have to run around and gather resources and fortify your base because other people will come along and kill you. Oh no, and they will kill you. So how do you know, like, uh, how do you know, you can't, so can you build your own server? Like, can you run your own yeah. system so you could just have your own world where people won't kill you? Yep. Yeah, yeah, you could do, totally do that. I'm running on the, I'm, I play mostly on the gaming on Linux uh, server. So oh, Liam, the guy who yeah. runs yep. gaming. Yeah. I saw him tweeting like, about it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has his own server and um, we play on there, but there are other servers that are modded. There are some that are stock and some that are tweaked to be you know better faster different in some way is it hostile is it fun like is is it oh it's it's generally shoot on sight so if you see some naked person running in front of you you shoot them first and then run up to their body and steal their stuff and if they turn out to be your friend then you revive them uh but it's generally shoot on sight it's survival of the fitness just now yeah, just now when you were talking to me, uh, an aeroplane flew over and dro- did an airdrop. And in airdrops, you want, you find automatic weapons and all kinds of other useful. And well, so if I, if, um, do I have any? So if I join, do I have any shot of making it before getting murdered at this point, or is there just too many people? So the interesting thing is the servers reset every month because it's currently in alpha. Oh. Um, any server you join, pretty much any of the the, the stock servers, will wipe and. Um, so if you join soon after the wipe, you're in with a bit of a chance. If you joined now, um, like a few days or a week before the server wipes, then chances are everyone else has automatic weapons and your arrivers are naked and they'll just <laughs> shoot you straight away. And the interesting thing about these kind of games, and I believe Rust is one of them, is if you log off, your body stays in the world. So you can go and find somebody that's like laying around and just steal their stuff. Yes. Wow. So this is why you fortify your your place and you build a, a house in which you're protected. Wow. So when you exit the game, your body is left in a place where nobody and, can get you. But and, and, people could build C4 and explode the walls, bust through your wall, steal your stuff. So yeah. So um, uh, so it must be like some sort of mad rush for resources and territory when the server Very resets. Much so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. God, that sounds yeah. really stressful. And then just a constant war until the reset. I mean, it also sounds really yep. fun if I was good at it. It would be fun, but until I was... It is hilarious. You don't even have to be good at it. I, I, have, I have shared some space with uh, Wimpy. <laughs> so me and him have a little compound. That's adorable. We have high, high walls around it with an automatic door and automatic turrets. So if anyone busted through the door, they get shot as soon as they come through the door. Um, and all kinds of other like ways in which to protect our stuff. It's the Wimpy Alliance. It's all ephemeral yeah. anyway. Yeah, it sounds fun though because in, in a week, in a week or so, this is all going to get thrown away, and we all start again as nakeds on the beach. So yeah, it's good fun. That's that's really kind of profound in a lot of ways, actually. Yeah, <laughs> is what it is. It's like society. If what would happen if society completely collapsed? <laughs> This is what we'd have. Yeah, <laughs> that's the weird thing we have. We've built up knowing that the so when you know that the server wipe is coming, um, when it gets close to the server wipe, nobody cares about anything because you know you're all going to get wiped out in a week. So everyone just goes attacking everyone, even people you had as friends <laughs> will start attacking. <laughs> you. It's like the zombie apocalypse, but with your friends oh, no. attacking everyone. Oh, it's, what does this say fantastic. about humanity? What does this yeah. say? 
you're, you're so you start building up a stockpile of food and weapons and armor and clothes and you know the resources you need to survive the apocalypse it's brilliant that's pretty great all right i just bought it on humble bundle i'm gonna give it a go I got to try it. I got to try it. Okay. JV server. What do you guys say? Uh, Gen 2 challenge next week for Halloween?